Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and leopards sitting in a tomatoes office, complaining of spots before their eyes. It's Thursday at 3 o'clock, and you know what that means? It's tea with BBP. Live from the annual meeting of the Michigan World Language Association in beautiful downtown and sunny Lansing, it's me, your host, Bill Van Patten, a.k.a. BVP, international superstar and diva of SLA. And speaking of spots before my eyes, with me today, live at the Myola Conference, are our own answers to that perennial eye doctor question, which is better, number one or number two? <laughs> Angelica Kramer and Walter Hopkins. Say hello, guys. Always one. Always one because I'm one. You're, Always better. Yeah, you think so, yeah? Hello. Walter, say hi. Don't be embarrassed by the audience here. Don't be afraid. Uh, I'm not afraid. I'm just a little bashful. So. Well, you're a little bashful. <laughs> bashful. Oh, no, you're more like grumpy or dark. No, no. Which one of the dwarves? Which one of the dwarves do you think you actually sleepy. is? You're mm-hmm. sleepy. No, I'm, I'm sleepy. I'm grumpy. <laughs> you're grumpy. Well, yeah, we're all kind of grumpy. Oh my gosh, it's been one of those weeks. It's a long week. Well, hello, audience. Say hi to everybody. Say hi. Hello, everybody. Nope, loud, so they know we're somewhere. Say hi. God, you have, really, thank you, please. My gosh, jeez. Nobody's getting any sleep these days, are they? You're all, y'all need some caffeine. I don't know where the coffee is. I need, a, I need a Red Bull is what I tea. need. Tea, tea. This show is called Tea with BVP. Well, I need, I need Red Bull with BVP right now. That's mm. what I need. <laughs> well, let me remind everybody who's in the audience and also listening that, uh, again, we are live at the Michigan World Language Association annual meeting. Next week, we'll be at ACTFL in Boston, and instead of being on, sh- on air on Thursday, uh, we are moving our show to Saturday for next week only because that's our time slot at Actful. So we'll be on at three o'clock next week at Actful. Um, oh my gosh, well, I lost my place already. We just started, oh my wow. God. It's, Alice moment. I know, we're not even four minutes into the show and I'm having an uh-huh. Alice moment already. Jeez. <laughs> that's so surprising. Somebody come up here and do this. Yeah, you, you come up here and take my spot for me, will you? I like you, come over here, yeah, you do that. All right. Remember during the show that there is the SLA challenge question. I will give you uh, a question in a few minutes. And we're not taking live phone calls today because we're not in the studio and we don't have a phone system. So we're going to rely on our live audience to come up to the mic. We have a mic here. Um, and the first person to make to the mic with the answer to the SLA challenge question will win a prize. Angelica, point out the mic to people so they mic, can see right it. right here. Right, right here. there. there Thank you, you Vanna. I mean, Angelica. Angelica. Always. Angavalana, I don't know what. Anyway, and the same for the diva challenge question. At some point during the show, I will read a question about a famous diva, not me, but some other famous diva. And the first person to make it to the mic and answer the question correctly will win a prize. All right, what are we talking about? What's going on here? I don't know. We're talking about administrators. We'll do that in a minute. But no. Yeah, again, unfortunately, we're not having any live calls today, so we are, rec- we are really relying on our audience to step up and ask questions. Now, I'm gonna, we have a topic for today because this is a topic that's come up several times, and it is one that um, I, w- I was actually asked by some people several weeks ago to bring up. It's not one I would normally talk about, but I think it's a good one. By the way, I have, how do you like my Ray-Bans? Cool, right? I look pretty good. Those of you listening, I'm, I'm wearing Ray-Bans because I have puffy eyes from lack of sleep and I don't want anybody to see the bags under my eyes. It's pretty bad. Um, but anyway, so this topic we have this week is not one I would normally talk about, but is one that people are interested in, so I thought it would be good for us to do. And the topic is, what can we tell administrators? And I think that's at all levels, not just K through 12, but administrators at the university level as well, for example. What can we tell administrators about language acquisition, language teaching that will help us? And this, this question came about um, largely because we hear from a lot of K-12 through people out there that they feel they are not being evaluated in the way they should be evaluated by supervisors, principals, uh, area people, and so on. So I have a couple of comments. I'm going to ma- make a comment about that. Um, and then I'm going to invite people at any time you want to talk about this, you just come right up and make a comment or ask a question. So here's, here's what I would like to tell administrators. The following little, write this down, you're going to love this. Okay. Language is not a subject matter. It can't be taught and learned like regular subject matter. Therefore, what our classes look like, what we expect of students, how we evaluate our students, and how we ourselves are evaluated has to be different from other content areas. I think that's our starting point for any kind of conversation because with those ideas, then you'll get questions from administrators. So if we tell them that it's not subject matter, 
and that what our classes look like, what we expect of our students, how we evaluate our students, and how we ourselves should be evaluated will lead to some kind of dialogue and question asking. So I think that's a good, well, I think it's a good starting point. And I had another great idea. Do you want to hear my idea? You have to say yes. yes. You have yes. to say yes really loud. Thank you. <laughs> Remember, this is a radio show. This is not TV. They can't see you. You've got to like yell it out. Okay, so, <laughs> so I think we need a statement somewhere. I don't know where this would go. I don't know what organization would do this. I don't know if we would do this, some kind of collective thing. But we need something, not like a declaration of independence, right, from 1776, but something like that that begins in the following way. We hold these truths to be empirically verified. And then we list those truths about language learning, language, and language teaching so that they are listed somewhere that they can be referred to in some kind of format. And then we just give those to people, like administrators, deans, principals, and other people. And they are the, that would be the starting point for some of our conversations. So if anybody would like to work on that project, let me know. I think we should do that. We hold these truths to be empirically verified. Walter, what do you think of that? I think that's a great idea. You want to work on that with me? Mm, of course. <laughs> Gosh, Walter, what's wrong? You're the, you're the one who got sleep last night. I'm functioning three days in a row. I've only had like three hours sleep. And you got 11 hours sleep last night, you said. I did. Maybe you what? slept too much. 11 hours of sleep? I, I was exhausted. And I, I just, after the kids went to bed, I said, I'm going to bed too. What time did you get up? My, I went to bed at 8.30. Wow. And got up at 7.30. Oh, nice. my gosh. I, I don't think I've ever done that in my life before. but I went to bed at 9.30 and got up at 1.30. That's not to say that there weren't multiple interruptions in the night, but, you know. Well, you had that sleep thing going on. You know, Walter's uh, been subject to sleep experiments. They put, like, little cables on him and <laughs> little doodads on his brain and stuff, and they wire him up and... Okay, well, let me give the SLA challenge question to people out there. And those of you in the audience, you, you feel free to Googleize this. You don't have to go off the top of your head, so you can look this up. So this is a true-false question. Are you ready? Say yes. yes. Thank you. Okay, here's the SLA challenge question. I'll say it twice. The research on second language acquisition has shown that, overall, learners can more easily acquire syntax than they can the morphological properties, that is, inflections uh, on nouns and verbs. Is that true or false? Again, the research on second language acquisition has shown that overall, learners can more easily acquire syntax, which is sentence structure, than they can the morphological properties, um, that is, inflections on nouns and verbs. True or false? First person up to the mic to answer that question wins a prize. And of course, if you want to come up and ask any questions or talk to us at any time, feel free. You don't have to be on topic. You don't have to talk about our little declaration of, of whatever it is we want to call that or talk about talk administration, you can ask and talk about anything you want today. Um, okay, um, to get the ball rolling, because I know you need your juices, your juices, what do you call it? You need, you need to get your juices flowing. Walter's gonna, do we have any like uh, questions from um, email, Walter, that you wanna ask? Oh, we yep. got somebody oh. here. Oh, we got somebody coming up already. I wish y'all could see this at the home on it. They're like running up to the mic here. She's gonna put, she has to put headphones on so she can hear us and, and gotta get her close to the mic there. Um, I know, it's okay. not, not very comfortable, is it? No, it's really not. Tell us your name, what's your name? Christy Schaefer. Christy. Christy. Christy, Christy. So Christy, what, are you from Michigan? Yes, I am. What part of Michigan are you from? Don't put your hand up, because people can't see that at home. I'm from Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor, yay, Ann Arbor. Give a big round of applause to Ann Arbor. She's representing, she's representing, okay. So Christy, what's up? You gonna answer the question, or you wanna? Yes, I'm gonna answer the question. Oh, you can answer the question. Yes. My God, do I need to repeat the question again? Yes, please. Okay, here we go. Where is it? Oh, here it is. Here's my question. <laughs> I had an Alice moment. I put the question away when I shouldn't have. Okay, here's the question. The research on second language acquisition has shown that overall, learners can more easily acquire syntax than they can the morphological properties of language, that is, inflections on nouns and verbs. True or false? That is true. Syntax ding, is ding, 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 ding. It is absolutely yay. true, yes. Christy. Yes. That is absolutely true. That's been shown repeatedly in the literature over the years in various guises. Christy, you did good for Ann Arbor. 
Yeah. Wow. Good for you. Yeah, I can use Google well. Yeah, you go. <laughs> <laughs> she Googleized that. See, it's just the answers are just at the touch of your fingertips, people. Well, great. We got a we've got a prize for you there. Angelica, did you give her a prize? You win a signed mug. We got a signed mug for you. I just don't even know how excited I am. And feel free, <laughs> feel free to take and, some and little and sticky pads if you want to. Uh, you can to even have some tea with VVPT. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah. I'll take it off. All right. All right. <laughs> Yay, Christy! See, Yay. it pays not to be shy. See, Walter, she's not bashful. <laughs> Walter, how did you ever get married if you're so bashful? I don't understand that. Do you really think I'm bashful, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> Walter's the kind of person I can hear. I'm on the, I work on the third floor, and he's on the fourth floor. I can hear him on the fourth floor sometimes. That's how bashful he is. He's very loud. You are, Walter. Well, Walter, read us I a, won't deny it. Read us a question. Before I give the diva, read us a question on email. All right, what, let's people, see. What, what's on We've people's got, minds right now? We have lots of questions on email this week, actually. I think this is a really hot topic. Uh, and so, here, I'll give us a question here from Terry. Terry says, what is the difference between language acquisition and language proficiency? If different, how do teachers provide instruction that leads to proficiency? So there is your question from Terry. The difference between language acquisition and language proficiency. Okie dokies. Um, proficiency is an outcome. A language acquisition is a process. How's that for an answer? So language acquisition is the process by which learners go about getting some kind of proficiency, correct? And proficiency isn't just an outcome at the end, it's an outcome along the way. So at every stage, you're at some level of proficiency, just like at every stage you're at some level of acquisition. So acquisition is a process by which you go about getting proficiency. And the second part of the question was what, Walter, about instruction? What was that? Well, she just said if they, oh, uh, where did it go here? I lost it. Oh my God, I'm not the only one with an Alice brain going on. <laughs> no, here it is. Uh, 11 hour sleep, come on, Mr. 11 hour sleep, find the question. <laughs> she said, if different, how do teachers provide instruction that leads to proficiency? Um, they, well, they are different. They're not the same thing, but by engaging in language acquisition, you lead toward proficiency. I, I think there's a, probably some kind of hidden question in there. Um, and if I, because if it's the Terry, I think it is, she might be thinking about comprehensible input and acquisition being the same thing, but they're not. Comprehensible input is a data set by which you go through acquisition. And so, yes, providing lots of comprehensible input, engaging learners in that input along the way is what helps develop proficiency. So. Um, I think that's what she's getting at or what she wants to talk about. So, yeah. Cool. Good question. Well, there you go. Great. Well, I have another question for the audience here. Is our hourly... We, is, how many of you are familiar with the show? Raise your hands out there if you're familiar with the show. Now yell out loud if you're familiar with the show. Go, yay! Okay, good. So you know that we do a diva challenge question, right? Um, and uh, so I'm going to give you that question now. First person up to the mic with the correct answer wins a prize. Here we go. This is easy peasy. You, probably, you shouldn't even have to Google this. You shouldn't even have to Google this. Don't you, believe it when he says it's easy should, peasy, by the way. This is a simple pimple. It really is. <laughs> okay, here we go. Which pop diva has more number one hits on the Billboard charts? Which pop diva has more number one hits in the U.S. than any other artist except the Beatles? Which Pop oh, diva, has an answer. Which pop diva has more number one hits in the U.S. than any other artist except the Beatles? Ooh, we got Look Emily. Emily, This go. is Emily coming up. Emily, say, uh, get Emily all set up so she can say hi to our listening audience. Hi. Hola. Hola, Emily. How are you doing? Very, very well. At least now. <laughs> I saw you on, Emily presented uh, an award earlier. I actually read a bio on someone. And you got a little misty-eyed at the end there, didn't I you? I did. You did. I did. Play misty for me. You were cute. What? <laughs> Play Miss. That's a different pop diva, that movie. Do you remember uh, the theme song from Play Missy for me? Roberta Flack. Oh. And the first, first time. time. Yeah, see? See? I'm a fountain of knowledge, people. You think I just know about SLA, right? I know everything about pop culture. I no, think I you don't. helped me out last year with the pop culture quiz, I didn't did. you? That's right. It see? was a double Academy Award uh, question. Oh, that's right. See? Okay, Emma, let me, re let me repeat the diva challenge question oh, for okay. you. Which pop diva has more number one hits in the United States than any other artist except the Beatles? I'm going to guess Mariah Carey. Ding, 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 ding. Wow. Nice. Man, Emily. This is true. Mariah Carey actually earned that distinction. Do you know what year? No. 2007. In 2007, huh. she got her 17th, or was it 18th? No, 18th. 18th um, number one hit. Um, and just passed... Um, wow. 
just past Elvis Presley at that point. Very good. And now she's right behind the Beatles. She gets one more and she'll be tied with the Beatles. You go, Mariah. Nobody will ever be tied with the Beatles. (laughs) (laughs) There's four of them. She's only one person, but you know. Well, thank you, Emily. Thank you, you Emily. Pleasure. Okay. Have a great conference. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Thank you. These, these prizes are really good. Yeah. More and feel free. You can take some goodies up here, too, if you like. Take whatever you want. Well, great. Okay. No t- okay. Lucas, you know what I told you, Lucas? I'm looking at Lucas in the audience here. Lucas is going to come up at some point and ask a question or make a comment. I'm going to give him five minutes before I send our armed Barty God out there to haul him in and, uh, to the microphone. I have a question. It's not from the audio, or it's not from email. It's my own question that I think okay. might be helpful for us to clarify. And that is, why is it that language is not subject matter? Because I think that would be helpful for us to explain to our administrators. Well, they're going to say, well, why isn't it just like any other subject matter? So, mm-hmm. um, take it on, my friend. Th- well, <laughs> that's. You always ask these questions, and sometimes he reads the email questions that are the hardest to answer. It's like. You- <laughs> That, that question, we've talked about that in the show. I know, I know. Language is not subject matter um, in the sense that it can't be learned. I mean, you can turn anything into subject matter, right? I can teach you how to drive and make it subject matter without you ever learning how to drive, right? I could teach you all kinds of things and turn it into subject matter without making you learn how to do something. But language acquisition and having language in your head in the end um, can't be learned like subject matter, can't be explicitly in, uh, in, uh, taught or practiced because the stuff in your head that is the nature of language is so abstract and so complex, you can't break it down into anything that's teachable. So, you know, everybody knows probably my my little tagline about this, what's on page 32 is not what winds up in your head. Um, and, and, And so we actually are sort of lying, if I can say that. We're sort of like misleading people by thinking that what's in the textbook is somehow gonna lead to what's in the head, that they're actually completely disconnected. One, and you can't transform this, you can't transform language in the the textbook to language in the head, it just can't happen. Um, And so, but again, you could treat language like subject matter, but then you wouldn't be teaching toward proficiency and you wouldn't be doing acquisition, you'd be doing doing something else. And then again, if we wanted to do that, we would just reduce our language requirements to one semester and just have language appreciation, right? But the idea is we want to teach for proficiency and teach toward acquisition. You use acquisition to get toward proficiency, right? Then um, we'd want to do something where we don't treat language like other subject matter. So the idea, again, of we want them to not just have knowledge about language, but rather ability to use language for the purpose of communication. I'm not even sure I want them to have knowledge about language. No, that's what I'm saying, that, yeah. that there's a difference between those two things. Right, yeah. right, right. I mean, linguists do knowledge about language, and it's quite different than, than what appears in textbooks. So, Actually, for those of you listening and those of you in the audience who like to know this, and I don't know if Anne's here, Anne Nairns, who is the editor of Foreign Language Annals, I just had an article appear in First View that's coming out in the December issue of Foreign Language Annals called, guess what? Why Explicit Information Cannot Become Implicit Knowledge. And it's a very short, short, short article. Hopefully it's very readable. It's got some technical parts in it, but very readable. And that, I think, in a nutshell, can tell people why language can't be subject matter. When you look at that, you'll go, oh my god, that one little German sentence has all this stuff in it, you know? Um, then you'll, you'll go, okay, I, I know what he's talking about. So I encourage people to read that. I wrote it for Foreign Language Annals because I thought that was a good venue to try to reach out to teachers. Um, and part of my job is not just to talk to other scholars, but to talk to teachers. So there you go. Good question, Wally. You get an A-plus for the day. <laughs> I'm so happy. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's just been so much better ever since he stopped being a volleyball, actually started being, you know, a host. It just, things have improved <laughs> over the year. I have another question here. Ready? Yeah, while we're waiting for Lucas to come to the mic. Okay. While we're waiting for someone, whether it's Lucas or someone else. Okay, Dustin's going to start working the tables. So go ahead and ask your question while we get somebody up here. Okay, the question comes from... Myra or Mira, I'm not sure, Uh, but she says this is a common administrator comment. The students should be facilitating their own learning. What would be a teacher's best response to that comment? When an administrator says the students should be facilitating their own learning, what should be our response? That they are facilitating their own learning by interacting with me in the classroom as the teacher. So for example, the, the, the trick again is to say, let's move, let's, let's get the administrator to stop using the word learning and talk about facilitating their own acquisition. What does that mean? That means to be actively engaged with 
the input the teacher's providing and then things the teacher's doing in class, right? And so um, the, the idea about learners being, what's the phrase again? About Facilitating their own learning. Facil is to try to get away from this lecture model. But in languages, we don't lecture, or we shouldn't be. So if we're providing comprehensible input and engaging activities in classroom, we are by definition getting the learners to be engaged in their own learning, their own acquisition. Um, but often what, what, um, what administrators think that means in a language class is putting them in pairs, having them like, uh, do deductive kinds of learning things to find out how the patterns of language work. But that's not what, again, it goes back to language is not subject matter like other things. Um, and so um, if, we can, if we can get administrators to stop talking about learning, start talking about acquisition, understand what acquisition is, then that dynamic will change, I think. I, hopefully it would. Well, guess who's at the microphone, people? Do you know who this is? Lucas. His name is Lucas. Hi. He is a show boy. <laughs> All right, Lucas. Lucas. Where are you from, Lucas? Uh, I'm from Ohio. Ohio. Now, we don't normally give out last names, but we have to today. Lucas has to identify himself because he's a big deal. He is a big fish in the Ohio pond these days. Lucas, tell us what it is why you're a big fish in the Ohio pond. Hi, yeah, um, the, uh, I'm currently serving as the president of the Ohio Foreign Languages Association. Yay, here we go, big job. So, and what's your acronym? It's OFLA, right? OFLA, yeah. OFLA, okay. So, what's on your agenda, Lucas? What are you gonna talk to us about? Um, well, it was a question, or I'm looking for maybe a comment from you guys. Um, you had a, you brought up a good point about um, we always bring up good points, Lucas. <laughs> what do you mean? We brought up a good point. Um, several, a good point. Several good points. Um, no, but I liked your point today about communicating with administrators about what um, instruction should look like in the classroom. Um, I want to ask you an advocacy question. I see, um, especially in my state, for example, um, word languages, the study of word languages is not required. Um, and I think word language teachers need to do a better job advocating for themselves. What would you say to, um, what do you think world language teachers need to say and communicate to administrators to build more support for our programs? Oh, that, that's tough. Um, we were actually talking about this at lunch, a group of us. And so let me back this up, because I think there's a bigger question here. And we've talked about this in the past on the show. The bigger question is, how are language teachers educated so they can be at that point to be the best advocates? So if you want to advocate for language acquisition, development proficiency, and all those kinds of things, it's going to require a kind of teacher education that shifts things away from treating language like subject matter and knowing more about the nature of language, the nature of acquisition, and actually what communication is. And if teachers actually have working constructs for language, communication, and acquisition, then they can advocate. Um, because if you, if you don't have the basics down, um, your administrator's gonna come right back to you and shoot you questions that you won't be able to answer mm -hmm. because you won't be able to say, this is how we're different, mm -hmm. right? And so, so the whole idea is giving them the tools during the education to be able to do that. So, you're, so I think your question is a little bit tricky because there's nothing we can say right now that would help them be advocates without saying, you need some basic knowledge. If you have it, great, use it. If you don't, we need to start giving it to you in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see that, thank you. Anything else on your mind, Lucas? Um, uh, you know, just I guess as an extension to that, um, when you look at programs where um, certain teachers have moved to communicative language teaching and other teachers haven't, um, sometimes as far as the, administ the administrator sees um, that not everybody's necessarily on board. Have you guys seen um, any effective examples of administrators um, bringing um, teachers on board to modern practices in, in teaching? I haven't personally, but I'd like to invite people up to the, the mic who has something to talk about that. Viviana can talk about that, maybe some others. Um, or somebody on Mixler says something, we can we can mention it. Um, Bryce, I actually give a shout out right now to Bryce Hedstrom, who's the um, president is he stepped down already? He's the president of the Colorado Congress. So your job in Ohio, he has, he has that job in, in Colorado. And he just um, sent us something via email, which are interesting things that we'll put up on our resource page, Luca. Remind me, to, we'll do this afterwards. Um, one is a teacher evaluation sheet that looks different from what an administrator might use. Um, with check boxes and things and with little descriptors in it. So I think that's a useful piece of thing. The other thing he also is, is redefining Bloom's taxonomy. 
Um, and so because what's, what I noticed when I was there in Colorado going on is there are successful people like Bryce um, and Diana, people down in the Denver area, who actually are making changes and doing things. Um, and so those are the people to contact to get that kind of information. So Bryce is good. Um, what's Diana? Diana Goodwin, is that her last name? Um, but she's in the Denver school area. And then Viviana probably wants to talk about that too. So if you want to come up to the mic at some point, okay. Viviana, you can do that. You can trade plays with Viviana. Sounds she good. can talk about that. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Lucas. That was a good thanks, question. Lucas. Thank you. Thanks, Lucas. So stepping up to the mic is... The current, well, almost, almost past president, because she passed the gavel today. I don't know what that really means at the award ceremony. So, <laughs> poor Baby is having problems. <laughs> She's having an earphone malfunction problem. It's better than a wardrobe yeah, malfunction. Better. There you go. We had that more wardrobe malfunction question a week or two ago. I need a mirror. No, you're fine. <laughs> you look great. So you've had some success in, uh, in, in what Lucas was asking about. Yes, so tell us a little uh, bit about that. I, I've been working uh, in implementing standards-based curriculum for six years, but I know that I cannot Im truly imp implement it with myself. So I have to be sure that my teachers develop the skills uh, that I have developed over time, and they are able to advocate, with their, with, first of all, with their students, and be sure that they understand what uh, they are doing in the classroom as far as proficiency, performance for proficiency. So, uh, second, to the, with the parents. The parents can be uh, um, very supportive or they can be a, a barrier. And most importantly, with the principals because they are the ones that evaluate the teachers. Uh, one of the things that I've been doing over time is uh, making aware that whatever I do as in central office, I communicate very clearly to the superintendent down, and I have the support. So then I, I, have, I share the support, I share whatever we are doing with my teachers and the principals. Still, it's a battle because some people think that they, some principals uh, have the old way of doing things. But um, I, what I do is I uh, deliver to them the TEL project standards, the model behaviors for world language teachers, and I am very assured that they understand that there's alignment between the TEL project and whatever framework we are using. Now we are using Danielson in Detroit Public Schools Community District. So it's very important to educate because if we don't, the uh, teachers cannot make changes uh, that, are, that are substantial and consistent right. over time. Right, agreed with you. Just for the, for the audience out there listening and also here, um, the TEL is an acronym. What does TEL stand for? T -E TEL stands for Teacher Effectiveness for Language Learning, and it's a very good tool for teachers because it's the, there's a, a descriptor in seven domains of what an effective teacher should look like. It's very ambitious, and we cannot be sure. I mean, for sure, the, the authors say that uh, this is something that not every... Uh, we cannot expect that all the, 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 the behaviors are achieved by all the teachers. This is a learning process, a progression. Right, right. But I completely agree with you that if there's no language acquisition, there's no understanding of what language acquisition means, and it's not a summation of content, it's not a summation of grammar and vocabulary, and if the people that assess, that assess the teacher, evaluate the teachers, are not very aware of that, there's something that is very crucial there. And very few teachers, like for example, I've been working in that manner for many years, even in Argentina, but uh, I was always advocating and opening my mouth and, and, sh and just sharing what I do in my classroom. And, as, and the principals really believed that that was uh, what should happen. But sometimes teachers um, don't have that, that uh, let's say, way of uh, approaching the matter, or they are shy, or they believe that they cannot uh, defy the system. But this, uh, in order to do, uh, to, in order to be successful in this shift, we all have to be in agreement, and we all have to be sure that we are constantly updating our skills, constantly updating our language proficiency, ourselves. Because otherwise, how can you use a target language if you are not proficient? So there are many right, things that right. needs to happen. Right. Um, this, people might be surprised about this. I do a lot of talks that go around the country. I was just in Minnesota, not last week, the week before, I guess it was. And uh, whenever I do one of these talks, I always make sure I talk about language acquisition in some way or form what I'm talking about. Because it's been my experience that not a lot of people have knowledge about language acquisition. Mm -hmm. And it never ceases to amaze me that stuff that I consider to be the most basic, basic, basic information about language acquisition people don't know. So I'll put up a PowerPoint slide. 
and say, does this look familiar to you all? And they'll go, no, what are you talking about? And I'm go, but you're all teacher educators. And they confess that they have no basic knowledge about language acquisition, how it works. And we've got to remedy that um, so that we don't keep trying to do the same thing. Because one of the problems I see in uh, even implementation of standards and everything else that's going on is people are trying to package mm -hmm. old wine in new bottles. And so we wind up just building, we have this, a, a, a large group of professionals who are trying to do the same old thing with new things layered on yeah. top. And, and that can't work. We've got no. to change the bottom, the basis completely. Yeah. Then these other things will work yeah. better for them. They'll understand them better. So, yeah. And that takes time. Uh, yeah. It's not something that you can uh, like, uh, achieve in a, uh, without studying. So no. I organize no. study groups with my teachers. I, I provide myself professional development. I call people that are much more expert than me to support my, my big job of uh, kind of causing the shift in the classroom, which is not my decision. I ultimately, it's the, the, the teacher's decision. Right. But uh, uh, without that uh, understanding and awareness that language is not a subject matter, we have to be sure that we are teaching languages in the manner that in, we engage the children first. Right. We, uh, we provide uh, comprehensible input at all times that is always defined and moving forward their level of proficiency. But how, how to do that? That's the challenge. Mm -hmm. And uh, if the teachers are not familiar with, uh, with that, they should take courses in language acquisition, they should read literature, we must, do the, uh, we must do that to all together because if we don't do that, our kids are going to continue saying hola, hello, how are you, and that's it. And that's, that's not what language is about. But they'll be able to take a nice test at the end that gets them some advanced credit or something, yeah. <laughs> probably, right? Yeah. Okay. Can Angel. I ask a clarification question real quick, Viviana? You were talking about a model of evaluation, the Daniels. Is that Charlotte Daniels? Danielson. Danielson is a, has a framework as well as uh, Marzano, different, different, uh, different people that are do frameworks. But the TEL project, the uh, Teacher Effectiveness for Language Learning, Alicia Villarreal and Thomas Sauer uh, are the, the main authors. Apart from a group of uh, supervisors of world languages and people uh, at the national level, so they they have um, they have designed. Uh, a framework that is called Teacher Effectiveness of Language Learning, TEL for short, and they con they, it consists of seven domains, planning, environment, and several other domains, uh, which has, of course, different behaviors listed, and really delineate how teachers, uh, the, the, how teachers should, uh, what teachers should do in the classroom in order to uh, cause this change. And it's very thorough, uh, there's not only a listing of behaviors, but are also a list of resources. And so all this is for free. That's a good thing. It's online. And so if the teachers uh, have some, uh, some need of improvement, let's say, in the area of planning, there are resources that they can, they can uh, read, things that they can read, that they can view, that they can uh, talk about with other peers. Not only that, they have um, a framework, uh, or I would say um, a rubric, to collaborate with other teachers. So I am a teacher and I would like to improve in an area of how to use a target language. There's a, a rubric that I can use to go into somebody's classroom, that a person that trusts me, and I can help that teacher by giving my opinions and, um, and in, uh, using that framework. So there are many things that are done. This group is also producing uh, many videos because it, the big challenge that teachers have is how to do it. So by looking at what people do, they start thinking, okay, I can do this in my classroom. Uh, this, past, uh, sat, uh, this past Tuesday, I have a wonderful professional development with my teachers in Detroit Public Schools, assisted by my instructional specialist. We did a hands-on uh, project. Of course, we, we go to the base, we study why. I always tell them that you cannot uh, do things without understanding why. We like, we like why noters, but we don't want bad noters with all excuses at all times. So the, the why noters ask questions. So I try to find out as many questions. And if I don't know, I research the questions. But they need to know why. As soon as they start knowing why, they, they, want, they want to know how. And that is the, 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 the big challenge, because many teachers are very traditional. They work in settings that are very traditional. But they are all aware. The teachers are becoming very aware that a shift is necessary. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and all of them are, are want to know the many of them want to know the why. There are few bad nodders. There are many why nodders. Right, right. Well, good. Well, thank you, Viviana. Thank, thank you very you. much. Yeah. Applause for Viviana. Thank you so much. And thank Great. you for having us at this conference. Thanks. Wow, you're you welcome. My pleasure to have you. All right. Um, we're gonna. We have another guest. We'd like to have come up to the mic and why she sets up with the earphones. And I have uh, have um, Walter go ahead and read another question, and um, and then we'll. We'll put her on the air in just a minute. So, Walter, right. go ahead and read another. Make it an easy one so that we can get to Aaron here in a second. Sure. One of the questions here, this is coming from Jennifer in New Hampshire. And she says that one of the things she hears from her administrator is the question, how are you preparing your students for college? Are they going to be prepared for college, basically, if you're teaching them based on the principles of comprehensible input? So how would you react to that question? Um, I, I would say, I, I would turn the question around and say, um, yes, if colleges are teaching for acquisition, if they're not, the question should be, why aren't they? I would turn the question around mm -hmm. and say, if colleges aren't teaching for acquisition and for proficiency, why aren't they? Because that's what I'm doing. That's what the whole point is, right? And I would just turn the question around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you can direct them to ACTFL. ACTFL's put out their proficiency guidelines, say this is a national organization that's, that's promoting proficiency-oriented instruction. Whether colleges have caught on to this or not, this is, this is where the field is going. This is The field has I'm been going, going. exactly. Yeah. You know, people don't understand that communicative language teaching has been around in this contemporary form since like 1972. Um, and it's just universities, I think, are the slowest places for change, and so that's why we're not there yet, a lot of us. There's a lot of good things happening at liberal arts colleges, a lot of good things happening at um, two-year institutions, a lot of good things happening at non-research universities. It's the research institutions that tend to gum up the works when it comes to uh, actually implementing things um, for a variety of reasons, and you know, that's not to denigrate them, it's just to say that they have other interests. So. All right, well, we have somebody here um, that we'd like to talk to a little bit. Erin, introduce yourself, tell us, tell us your full name. Hi, uh, I'm Erin Peristalia, or Erin Elizabeth Peristalia, if you want everything. Uh, we do <laughs> want everything. Yes. Well, there you go. And Elizabeth, tell us, middle name. Okay, Erin Elizabeth, tell us what your title is here. Uh, I am the current vice president of the Michigan World Language Association. Yay, we got another board Yay. member here. Good for yeah. you. Is that you. How, how long is your term? Uh, the entire board process or term thing. It's one year as vice president, but the entire thing is four years. Okay. All right. So you stay on for a while. Correct. Yeah, because I just got elected to a national office, AATSP, and it's a three-year term. Excellent. Three-year term. So I'm president-elect okay. now, starting in January. Mm -hmm. Then I become president the following year. Then I'm immediate past president after that. So okay. it's a three-year stint. So that's Congratulations. Why I that well, wonderful. thank you. Thank you. And and thank you for all your hard work at Myrola. Thank you. You're we, welcome. Yeah. Um, we want to we wanna ask you a few questions um, or just get your thoughts on some things. How do you see organizations like these state organizations reaching out? The kinds of things we're talking about with administrators and what Viviana was talking about, uh, helping helping move things along. I mean, you have the annual meeting, right? Mm -hmm. Do you ever discuss among the board members other ways that you can do some things to help teachers locally? Um, does that ever come up in discussions? I'm trying to think back to our, our discussions. I mean, certainly we talk about language all the time. We're all kind of language uh, aficionados here. Um, but. But no, I, I feel like a lot of the stuff that we talk about, that's something that we could explore a lot more. Um, I think that we would love to, to get into, because this is a huge subject, um, you know, as we want to change our, our ways throughout all the schools across the nation. I think that a lot of us want to be able to do this and that we need to find a, a better way to reach all the, um, the local schools, like all our K-12 institutions. Yeah, the reason I ask that question is because, you know, we're, we're, we're a republic. We're not a, like a, we're not like a European country where you have centralized government. Mm -hmm. And so most education is state-run or state-oriented. And so it would be, it would be appropriate for something like Myrola to take a lead and saying, well, we're just going to work on our Michigan teachers here. That's, that's one of our jobs, mm -hmm. you know, rather than wait for some, sure. I mean, ACTFL does what it needs to do, but that's a big right. national organization with other interests and other, other kinds of things. Um, so um, I think that would be interesting for um, state organizations to think of how we could do that, you know. Yeah, yeah we have absolutely. annual conference, but how could we do things more on a local level? How can we do more outreach stuff? How can we do things that put information in, in the hands of teachers who are very busy people, right? Right, um, yeah. We, I mean, I think one of the most important things that we can do is find a way to make it easy and feasible. Um, things like writing subplans and doing stuff during the week ends up being a barrier to some teachers. So like our spring workshop, we're gonna be doing that on Saturday. 
um, so that it makes it easier for people to come. Um, I talked to a friend of mine um, who is in Michelle Ola, who's um, in charge of, I think it's FLEM. Um, she is the Florida Foreign Language Association. I forget the actual acronym, but um, she was telling me that one of the things that they do down there is that they've got a whole bunch of outreach events. Um, I think they do for free, and so I don't know if it's just people doing this out of the goodness of their heart all the time because they really feel dedicated to the cause, but um, doing a bunch of regional PD stuff on weekends where it's easy for people to get to them. They, they try and travel throughout the state. I think that's one thing. Um, I know Viviana's talked about it, um, and I think is a really interesting idea is trying to reach out even within Michigan. We tend to stay really close to this area because there's a large population down here, downstate. Mm -hmm. um, it would be really nice to be able to stretch out throughout the state. Um, question is, uh, in an organization where we have a finite amount of money, um, you know, can we put together a program like that where we right. where we stretch out? I think something like that could be really cool. Yeah, I, I don't know what to what extent technology could be useful, but that's a question we need to keep asking ourselves. What technology sure. is available now? Like when we started this mm -hmm. show, for example, we were just thinking, what could we do to do some outreach? You know, and yeah. then I don't know how it came out of our discussion. We just said, well, what if we did a podcast slash radio show because that's and now you've got easy TV. to access, 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 mm -hmm. access, and it, and once it's archived, you can listen to it in your car. Right. You can listen to it spurts, 15 minutes in your car ride, 15 minutes on the way home. While you're, I, I have a colleague in my department who cooks. This is Christy. Oh yeah. Um, cooks um, and listens to us while she's preparing dinner. Uh huh. Um, and so there's so there's all kinds of ways I think that we can help do this kind of stuff. And so um, yeah, so we just need to think about how technology might. How it can work. aid us, certainly. Yeah, can it can reach it. a lot of people. Because it, for someone to, to get in the car and drive upstate 10 right. hours to hit the UP, something like right. that, it, you know, that's a, right. difficult to arrange. But if we can use technology to aid us. Um, there, I mean, there are a lot of cool things like you're talking about with Actful. There are a lot of great resources. But right. if we're thinking just statewide, what can we do? Um, you know, we've got some interesting things that we might be able to explore within our state organization to offer as part of our membership in the next few years. I'm not if sure, I'm not sure how good webinars ideas. are these days. I don't know, I mean, I, I think that people are loath to, I don't I so I mean, talking about me and my experience with other teachers, even just in my district, and I think this is pretty common, but people just get a big feeling of overwhelm. You know, there's yeah. like there's so much information all the time. There's right. so much to do all the time. People right. ask you, you know, like even even right now as we're talking about all these great ideas, I'm like, oh man, this is amazing. We could do all sorts of cool stuff. But then there's always that thing in the back of your head, like, how much time do I have in my day? Can I sleep 11 hours tonight? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she Only Walter can oh, do she that. Oh, Walter. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I reiterate, I've never done that before. Uh, right. No, right. we're just really jealous because that sounds great. I know. Doesn't that sound good? God, I, I would know, kill for. So nice. I normally don't sleep more than five hours a night, <laughs> but lately I just haven't been able to sleep at all. So I'm like, oh. Oh man. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but but I mean, you know, there's so many great ideas, and, and I think. Um, especially those of us who get really excited about language, we want to say yes to everything. Yeah. You know, like I love the idea of putting together all sorts of programs that can reach tons of teachers and that we can turn over education for every single person. The question is, you know, I, I want to get involved in these programs that are going to have a big impact with a reasonable amount of work and get, get people involved so we can get a lot of people sharing that work and, and cool. doing better work. Well, we're glad state. to have you on the board for four years. How, how many more yeah. years do you have left? Three. My, hus my husband, <laughs> when I talked to him the other day, he thought I was done in six months, and I was like, mm. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, not happening. I'm enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. I really There's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on that people don't know about, yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's a great organization. I'm really, really yeah. happy to be here. I'm, I'm involved because I think this is a fabulous organization. It's done so much for me professionally. I got involved because I felt like a desperate teacher when I started. Um, I felt like I was at loose ends, and it was coming here and and just learning everything I could and, and meeting a lot of people. Really, the networking is key. Right. Being able to right. just make friends with people and stay in contact with them is, is huge. Um, being able to that is huge. Them. That's one thing I like about going to meetings um, always. And for those, that you, those that, for those people who aren't here and out there listening, um, we encourage you, you know, if you're here in Michigan, make sure you're a member of Marvel and you get involved. Oh, for sure. But get involved in your own state organization, your regional organizations. That's what they're there for. Um, and you'll network and you'll find some like-minded people. Sometimes you won't, but very often you do. Um, but that's your prime contact for, for um, reaching outside your little small bubble that you live and work in every day, and I think that's very important for all of us to do. 
there's some really fabulous people at the other state organizations I've been able to meet recently through Lil. Well, look at Lucas came up here from yeah, exactly. Ohio, right yeah, there. Yeah, so Lucas and I met through Lil, the leadership initiative for language learning, which was sponsored by ACTFL and a bunch of other AATs um, in recent years. They started two years ago. It was because of that that we met and formed a partnership between OFLA and Mywala. But, um, but I mean, we've got partners in... I don't know how many states, like 30 or 35 states, something like that. And I mean, these are like awesome go-getters and they're all people who are in charge of these um, organizations and getting amazing training and, and research to back up everything that they're working on. Um, so yeah, almost any state organization you join out there or, or AATs, like mm -hmm. AATSB. Um, I mean, the, you know, we've got a lot of amazing people out there who are doing great work. So any of these professional organizations that you join, I think. Well, the good thing about really the state organizations you. is that they're compared to the larger ones are relatively inexpensive mm -hmm. in terms of membership dues and so on. Right. And usually you can drive to the conference, annual mm -hmm. conference, if you want to. You don't have to fly somewhere normally. Right. Um, so they're not hard to get to. Or maybe um, even avoid a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so there, it, it's. It, I, I think they're really good. And I've again, this is next week. This is my sixth state organization this semester alone, visiting or traveling to. Okay. Um, and I think they're all very good. I, I see really good stuff going on. I think the leadership in organizations are good. So, um, so get involved. This is a good thing for people. So, Aaron, we applaud you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And enjoy oh, the rest of your tenure. I got a mug with a little tea bag with the. And you got it. We signed the back so of it, cute. so don't wash it. We signed the back. Use it as a pencil cup I or something. I will never wash it ever. <laughs> Use it as a pencil cup or something. <laughs> All right, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thanks, All right. Aaron. Okay. Yep. Thanks, guys. Yeah, people don't realize how much work is involved in these things. And so all the Viviana, who's the president, stepping down this year, and Aaron, who's the vice president, and all the board members do a significant amount of work all year long, not just for the conference, but all year long. So we applaud them. We do, don't we? Absolutely, yeah. we, we do. do. Angelica, you're on the board too, aren't you? Aren't I you something? I am, what yes. Are you? I'm currently the executive secretary after a five-year stint of the presidential stream. That the got changed for Aaron. Executive secretary. Mm -hmm. Not just a... No, not just the secretary. Executive secretary. Can't get Executive. enough of this organization. Can't I know. Can't I get know. enough of your love, babe. No. Oh, that's Barry White, right? Yeah. All right. Is that the guy? I, I have a Mixler like question. Okay, Angelica has a Mixler question. Angelica, ask us our Mixler question. This is from Pamela. Hey, Pamela, out there in Mixler land. Pamela writes: For K-12 teachers, how do we educate the parents of our students? We need their support and understanding as well. Oh yeah, that's good. One of the things we talked about this summer at AATSP was creating this 50-state consortium kind of thing where we blast out information, really short 250 word things, like once a month. And the idea was to go for it to go out with to deans and principals and administrators, do some top-down approach, because you have to put some pressure on things from the top-down approach. Um, the um, the uh, um, idea, extension of that would be this. What about if we had, cre we have some things, 250 word things targeted for parents? And so one th once a month, teachers just get the email in their, in their email, they get the message in the email boxes, and they somehow just share it with parents. So here's a little blurb on this, and here's a little blurb on that, and parents read it, parents read it 250 words, and we start educating parents that way. I, can, I think that would be interesting, and that might invite parents to ask some questions. If they show up at a PTA meeting, they can ask some more questions and so on. So I think that, because everybody's busy, so if you can keep it short, I always talk about 250 words, because it's not, you know, those of you in the audience watching, you know, I'm putting my fingers up and showing what 250 words is. You know, that, that's, you can read that while you're going to the bathroom, or you can read that while you're cooking, or you can, somebody can read that to you while you're chopping onions or something. So something short like that. If we could do that, and just, it's not hard to get information in people's hands. It's just you can't overwhelm them, give you too much. So once a month, a little blurb like that, I think we might try that. So let's, I'm gonna, when we start working on this 50-state consortium, I think we might add that into the mix. That'd be good for parents. Great, and Mixler people are also requesting a five to 10 minute video from we you could, know, Actful, whoever, or from this consortium. We could do that too, yeah, that's possible. Five, five minutes probably better. Yeah. And that would be nice to have a five-minute video once a month so people can, you know. Well, and one, one explaining essentials of SLA yeah. so that administrators, why are you looking? Why are you looking at me when you say that, Angelica? I don't know why. I don't know. I don't well, know. we got somebody who stepped up to the mic here. Hello. Hello. You want to get a little bit closer? Yes. All right. Um, hi, I'm Eric, and I teach Spanish in Traverse City. Hey, Eric from hi, Traverse Eric. City. Hey, did you bring us any fudge? No. No, no fudge. That's so we, sad. We have cherries up there. Lots of cherries. What, did, did you bring, bring any cherries? cherries? I any cherries oh, either, though. My God, no cherries. No, get it. Get off the mic. Right. Go, <laughs> go <laughs> back to your seat. You'll have to come visit. We'll get you lots of cherries when you come visit. Okay. So you're you all heard that he's invited me up. Oh yeah, absolutely. Free trip. Free trip to oh. Traverse City. Yeah, okay. <laughs> 
All right, my question is, um, we've had a big push in my district recently um, with like the CI, TPRS type movement, which I think is great. But I have part of my problem with TPRS and CI is that a lot of the stories do not relate to real world situations and my students don't buy into that. So I'm kind of wondering what role does CI and TPRS play into the more like real world communicative language instruction? Well, I don't see why they wouldn't. I mean, they're building blocks. For those of you who don't know out there in the audience, let me just say what those acronyms are. CI stands for Comprehensible Input, and TPR stands for Teaching Proficiency in Reading and Storytelling. Let me remind people of something, though. CI is not a method. CI is something, it's a construct. And you don't have to do any particular method to have conference book in your classroom. So you could be doing something, for example, I don't do TPRS in my class, or my classes, or when I did Walter's class, or when I do the demos, or when I do that, do that. Um, but it's, it's full of comprehensible input and full of interaction with that input with some, I mean, I don't know if you want to call it real world or not, but um, the, remember, real world is a product you get to. It's not something that has to be there along the way. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm a novice learner, I can't do real world stuff. So we have to be realistic and say, what does that mean to do real world stuff? Let's put that in perspective. Okay. If I'm a novice learner, um, if, if, you, if you are somehow insinuating and communicating to learners that they can do real world stuff in the language classroom, I think you're kind of fibbing. Because one of the things we keep ignoring is that the classroom itself is an authentic context with real people who want to talk about real things in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so we need, to, we need to use that and, and understand that context and say, that's our basis for communication. Um, and then the real world stuff will come along over time. Um, so I think, I, think, I think we need to just reinterpret what that real world means and put it as a goal more toward the end um, because you could be doing TPRS or any kind of, uh, of approach or method that has a lot of comprehensible input in it and not be doing things like how to order a meal in a restaurant. Well, my classroom's not a restaurant. Why would I want to do that? Um, or, you know, like, I think Paul Sandrock's thing was interesting today with living with a host family. I wouldn't do that in my class um, because that's just not going to happen to my students in the first year or the second year. That, that's something that we could do that later on, but we could be doing something else. I mean, it, I, you always have to figure out what your context is and, and what's meaningful to your students. So, and I think what's interesting is when I watch TPRS and when I watch other kinds of classrooms, students buy in mm -hmm. when they are engaged. Right. And they can see the outcome if they go, oh my God, I'm understanding French, I'm understanding Spanish. Oh my God, I can say this now. Right. Then, then you get buy in. Right, well I think part of the issue is that so often I see these stories that have nothing to do with anything students are ever gonna come across. Like, and then this unicorn came in and took this and then did he take this or did he take this? And I just think that there's this like this conception that TPRS and CI has to be just this, these wacky stories, and I feel like it doesn't have to be. And I feel like my because my students would not are not going to buy into that, but I don't think it has to. So I, th I like what you're saying. But you don't know that they're not going to buy into that. You, have okay. to, you don't know that. I, it's, it, it's interesting because when I went to the IFLT this summer, I offered myself as a volunteer student for this Russian demo because I, I, I was deathly afraid to learn Russian because I didn't want to sit in a Russian class. But Katya Pakova is just the most fabulous TPR teacher. So she's from Monterey at the DLI. And I learned so much Russian in 45 minutes during the demo. Mm -hmm. And none of it was real world. Right. And we didn't talk about unicorns. She just did the whole story that unfolded during the 45 minutes was about me and things I wanted to do and the things the class was shining out and so on. Um, and so again, an adept person can adapt anything to fit the context in which they teach cool. and make it work. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Eric. That was a good question. Thank you so much. Thanks, Eric. Thanks. Take some swag. All right, we got Sorry, one more person. Okay, we got time for one more question. Oh, we got somebody coming up to the mic. Um, who's, oh, we're doing headphones now. Yeah, I saw that. Walter thing. We got like five minutes left. It's Justin. How did you know before I said what my name was? Because I know you. I've seen oh, okay. you before. We have special vision. <laughs> I sat with Justin, Justin sat behind me in the plane uh, this summer, actually. We know you, we walked with you. Walter, you just flashed me the thing, we have five minutes left, and now you're okay. singing and taking up Justin's time. <laughs> Justin, no, actually, actually I, thought, I thought Eric's question and comment just now was so great, and as someone who uh, just by chance gave a presentation here at my Walla one hour ago called What is TPRS, um, I thought he mentioned 
to, to Eric and anyone else who's curious, if, if that unicorn, that's, that's something people bring up a lot, is the unicorns in the stories or the hairy toes or whatever. Uh, if TPRS is done, if, if, if it's done well, then the only way that the unicorn got in the story is because the students in that class put him in the story. Right. And, uh, and TPRS is at its core involves eliciting the idea. So I love what right. you said, Eric, about, uh, I think you phrased something about how your, your students couldn't connect with a certain thing. Well, he, uh, one of the delights, not just about TPRS, but about teaching in any way that actually elicits uh, content from the students is that you can make it about whatever the students happen to be into uh, in that moment. Right. And again, and depending on level, a TPRS class with 16-year-olds would look different from 10-year-olds, which would look different from 20-year-olds probably because mm -hmm. they're contributing and they're contextualizing that story for themselves. And so, yeah, exactly. So, good. I'm sorry we missed your presentation. Thank you, Justin. No problem. I mean, last, last year I had a presentation that overlapped with the live, uh, live TVP, so I'm, T with BVP, so I'm glad this year I actually got to be part of it. And I'm really excited about the, the participation in the room. Well, hope you got a good turnout today, did you? Oh, yeah. Oh, good for you. Yeah. I, think, I think more people than who are sitting here right now, Bill. Justin's fabulous. Well, <laughs> what's happening is we're, we're, competing, we're competing with sessions right now is the problem. Yeah. So no, I get it. Yeah. There were a lot more at the beginning of the show. There were. I, I was here then, too. You guys are doing great stuff. Thank yeah, you, guys. Well, all right. All right. Thanks, Justin. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Take swag. Yeah, Take Justin, swag. Justin's making comments about the fact that when we started, that we start the show, when we do live at My World, we start the show during the break. Uh, there is a half-hour break for people to come to the exhibit hall, and all the tables and chairs fill up around us, and then they all dash off at, at 3.28 to get to the 3.30 sessions. They've already got marked in their calendars, and so then we lose half of our, if not two-thirds of our audience. So, but that's all right, because we're here for everybody, especially the people out there listening. So, um, Do we have time? Uh, oh, look at that. We have a question. We have Dustin at the mic, our own muscle man. Oh, do you know the muscle man? I Dustin. guess I'm suiting up for something today. How are you, Bill? I'm good. How are you? Walter. Hi, Angelica. Hello, hello. Hi, Dustin. We're so glad to have you on the show, Dustin. It's always a we pleasure to be on you. the show. I know. And not answering phone calls and or people wrangling. There you go. So what's up? Well, so I think this topic today was a fantastic one, looking at what we can say to our administrators or evaluators. And I think there's a lot of things out there that we could do. And we're trying in some of our courses in our program to sort of target that. Like, what can we do? How can we get our students to think about being in their administrator's shoes so they understand their perspective on things, and then to take from that perspective, what can I do myself as a teacher to help this bridge this divide? Because there's kind of a huge gap between what yep. they have in their minds and what we have in our minds as language teachers. So I wonder if you've encountered that kind of, kind of techniques for getting that bridge, over that bridge between administrators and teachers. Personally, I've not encountered that, so I can't speak to that directly, no. But you must do that at the university level, though. You must do things to wrangle to show the value of language education in general within a, a university, right? Or you research one, for example. Outside of our it, it, college, it, it's I should different. say. It, it's different. It, it's, it's different at the university level. It really is. Um, so I, I, I just got the signal from Luca that we have to start wrapping up because we're going to run out of time here. So I got to do my acknowledgments. But bring that up next, at next week's show. Bring okay. up the next week's show. That's a good topic. I'll, I'll have some more things to say, but we'll do that at the top of the show so that we can address it. Okay. Perfect. All right. Thank Thanks, you. Dustin. Thanks, Dustin. Thanks, Dustin. Well, that hour has flown by. I tell you, time flies when you're in Prozac. Okay. Anyway. Never heard so, that one before. Huh? I know. That's new. Man. I know. Wow. I know. So entertaining. <laughs> so we're going to thank everybody today that has been involved in our show. We want to thank some of you who've never seen us before. This is Daniel Trago to my left here. He's our technical producer. We thank him for everything. Our media producer, Luca Giappone, who's Yay. there. Wave to him. Our talented and uh, uh, audience rustler and muscle man, Dustin, with that fabulous shirt on, Dustin DeFelice. Yeah. Show that shirt. That's a fabulous shirt. We're going to start marketing those. Our production, uh, assistant production manager, Jeff Maloney, is not here today. Um, we want to thank the College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University, especially our dean, Christopher Long. Fabulous guy. Remember to go to our college's website and check out that podcast section of the college I was talking about before. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters or any of our sponsors or any other official entity of Michigan State University. And of course, we want to thank not just the listeners out there today and our live audience here, but the organizers of My World Up for having us in our exhibit hall today. Thank you so much. Cue the music, Daniel. There we go. Join us next week as we broadcast live from the annual convention of the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages in Boston, Massachusetts. Yay! Note the day change. 
Again, we will be, uh, be broadcasting live on Saturday, November 19th. Not our usual Thursday, but it'll be our usual time, 3 o'clock next Saturday. Until then, everybody have a great weekend and happy Maiwala to everybody here. And happy Second Language Acquisition to you out there in the audience. Thanks so much. Cheers. Goodbye, kids. Bye, everybody. Oh, my gosh. Woo. Look at all those languages. Awesome.